Welcome to the Brentwood Academy podcast. We are a co-educational, independent college preparatory school near Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to nurture and challenge each whole person, body, mind, and spirit to the glory of God. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the stories, lives, and relationships that make BA such a special place. For more information about BA, visit BrentwoodAcademy.com. Now on to today's episode. Well, hello out there. Uh, I'm Matt Brown. I teach Christian Dynamics here at Brentwood Academy, and I'm here with Brad Perry and Austin Groves, uh, two of our faculty members, um, two of our beloved faculty members here. And we're talking today about the subject of race, Uh, specifically trying to to get down just some preliminary conversations here about um, why is it important and and how how do we even begin to talk about this subject. So I've got a few questions here uh, for Brad and Austin, and they're going to they're, they're going to they're going to jump in here in a second. Um, guys, let's just let's just open with the with the, the very preliminary question: well, Why do we need to talk about this? You know, we're, we're we're some people say this is a very very important topic, and some people say, hey, we're we're past that as a country. I think it's harder to say that now as a as a nation when we watch the news, but. Um, but why would you guys say it's, this is an important topic to be talking about today? I have to go back to the scriptures. The reason why I do so is the scriptures give us a clear, a clear and a really a specific way uh, to look at race, and I don't think that it's talked about enough. I think if we were to talk about it more, it would be, it would seem more clear. And what I mean by that is this, a lot of times race is used as the dirty laundry in the room. Like when you hear that word, it's some weird baggage. People are like, Oh my goodness. Oh, please don't bring that up. And that breaks my heart because when we look in the Bible and we see how God's sovereignty works, how he's actually over all the nations. He's over all the, even the cultures. I mean, he's he's king over all. Mm-hmm. When we really see that and really delve into that, we're looking at Revelation 7, 9. Oh, my goodness. Our brother John was able to notice what? Every nation, tongue, and tribe. How do you notice those things? Mm-hmm. You have to see. You have to hear. He experienced a taste that God's power is so big that he can draw at least one person from every tribe and tongue. That is beautiful. So if that's how God sees race, that's how I want to see it <laughs> as a believer. And so if that's how I want to see it as a believer, guess what? That's how I want you to see it. Because <laughs> like that's how the Bible works, right? Uh, God's truth, I mean, it is open for all who accept it. And so I, I think that's uh, the fundamental crux of race in, in my view is it's got to be biblical. And if it's not, we got to get away with it, like, get, get away from it. Uh, first of all, I don't like doing laundry. Uh, I have six children. I'm, I'm the main laundry doer at my house, and um, it's not very fun, and it it's never goes away. I mean, some some <laughs> seemingly like this topic, um, but uh, I think Austin started his answer is um, is a poignant one, and it's a, a wise one. I mean, John did see. Every tongue, tribe, and people group. That was the vision God gave to John 
of seeing every tongue, tribe, and people group worshiping God together. Mm. He didn't just say, hey, there's a lot of people worshiping God up here. But he saw every tongue, tribe, and people group. And uh, so mm. I think that's intentional language that God gives us. So, And then in Jesus' prayer, that he, as he taught his disciples how to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. It's a really important phrase, I think, in the Lord's Prayer, that if heaven's like that, then we need to be about that here. Mm-hmm worshiping God together, every tongue, tribe, and people group. And and that's implied within those names, different skin tones and skin colors and cultures. So uh, that's a a pretty big calling that we've been given by God to bring about uh, heaven to earth, if you will. So uh, it's important for that reason. It's also important because, you know, we – Obviously, we don't have a lot of great models, unfortunately, when we look at the the news, as you mentioned before. The public discourse is um, seemingly more divided than ever on this topic. And, you know, if you want to call it sides, we see a lot of the extremes on both sides, right? And we just end up, there's kind of end up yelling at each other. And so, you know, I know we're going to bring it down to the, what does it mean for a school? I mean, we're, we're educators and these things need to be taught. You know, this is a topic that I've been talking about really for over 20 years. And so it's something that, in a weird level, maybe unlike the laundry, I enjoy <laughs> talking about um, a lot of the time, not all the time, but I enjoy talking about it. But it's also something that I've thought about and talked about and read about for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, whereas a lot of Certainly, our students haven't, and they, in some cases, haven't. All they've gotten is the bad models on television. So, we need to teach and educate. Well, and that, and that was my second question. I, I wanted to I wanted to bring that around because because as adults, we we talk about these things, and and some of us might feel like, well, we're adults and we're the ones who who handle the difficult issues and. Why? Why would we want to bring this up in a in a high school or even a middle school? Why would we even want to talk about this? Because this is an adult issue, and you know, it's kind of like some people say we shouldn't be don't talk about sex to kids so much because then it's just going to make them think about it, and mm-hmm. and why, don't talk about drugs or whatever. The more you talk about, it, the more they're going to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, why can't we let kids be kids? And are are kids really struggling with this? Mm-hmm. Why would we do this? I think. Because we want to make the youth, uh, we want to equip the youth to become stronger. And we know the way that we become stronger, there takes training. I love that word training. We see this in scriptures, training into righteousness. We don't wake up one day. (laughs) We're just there. Uh, We have this weird concept, even in America, of what's an adult and what's a child. You know, if you look at scriptures, there's kings at 13. You know, it's this idea of what does that even mean? (laughs) Like, we have to understand that as adults, we are prayerfully equipping the youth to see God and people the way that they're intended to be seen. That's the purpose. And we as believers, especially adults, we have gone through a lot of the experiences that these students have. I always say this in my classes. I said, I need you to trust me this semester. They look at me so weird. What are you talking about? I need you to trust me. Can I tell you guys something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was your age once. (gasps) 
right? Can I tell you something? Yeah, you've never been my age. It's this idea, not that they're lesser, but that there is an experience and there's a, the, the probability of us going through the things that they're wrestling with, we've been through. We can share, hey, this is how not to train into you know, righteousness. This is the stuff you should avoid that will trip you up. We have that beautiful burden. I mean, look at the discipleship model. God set it up for generations, that your generation would equip a generation, that would equip a generation. Mm-hmm. It goes down. We pass it down. And so for us to neglect that and wait for them to hit it straight on for the first time, are we training them? Is that real love? Mm-hmm. Is that re- I mean, to wait for them to figure it out on their own? I, I think if we have those experiences and there's a clear direction, why are we not equipping them right now? Such a time as this right now. Yeah, I probably need to digress just for a second. I, I think um, I probably should have included this in my previous answer since I do teach history. Um, you know, we have been taught before by our history. And the other reason we need to talk about race today is because, um, you know, our past has a direct bearing on our present, which obviously is going to speak to our future and how we live. And, and we do have this racial past in our country and specifically in the South. That's where we're sitting. And the, uh, the vestiges, the remnants of that history is still around today. And, um, and it's a, you know, there's a lot of hard things uh, to learn from our racial past. And so we can't deny that. And uh, it still ha- plays an effect on people's lives today. And, you know, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but if you, um, that there's some, you know, if you look at the statistics about um, what, um, you know, white Americans or European Americans, what they think about race compared to what African Americans think about race, they're really different generally speaking, um, whereas African-Americans would say that, you know, a large percentage say there's still a big race, race issue in our country today, and white Americans typically say it's not. There's a big disparity in even how um, different cultures and different people groups um, see the, see it today. So there's a disparity there. And, um, and then we look at some of the, some of the issues that um, these two groups have of even connecting and coming together, whether it's in the church or where we live, um, you know, there's still a lot of baggage that we have from our past. So um, to continue to learn and grow from our history is just another reason why we need to talk about it. No, that's great. Thank you. Um, well, we've got, I've got a series of how questions now as we're, we're going to dive into this. So, um, so, number one, I, let's let's start at the the individual level. Uh, if racial unity, as you as you mentioned in the gospel, I mean it's it is part of the gospel here, the kingdom of God, and what that looks like. Uh, if racial unity is is a, is a is a mandate within the gospel within the kingdom of God, how do I, as an individual, what do I do uh, to if I've recognized? Okay, well, uh, this is important. How do I move toward racial unity? The first thing that my, this is my prayer. This is literally my prayer. That this moment of seeing racism and seeing this head on is not outside of enlightenment of God, right? You you do not, I know 
very many people mm-hmm. who want nothing to do with Christ mm-hmm. who are very informed on our history and how it's actually impacting us today. Mm-hmm. Very well informed. So my prayer is first that they see it through the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. When we can see it through the eyes of God first, we realize that racism is a sin against God. It's not talked about as a sin against God. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that in other conversations? It's like, oh, this this person, this jerk, this person over here was being rude to another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not seen as an offense to God because we in our nation, we're being almost desensitized to not look at it head on. We want to look at every other issue head on. But with race, it's almost a broader you know, mm-hmm. broader brush. We don't want to talk about it. It's a sin problem, mm-hmm. right? It's a sin issue. But we're not hitting it dead on. And so I pray that first the students hit it dead on. They see it through the eyes of God, the scriptures. Second, deep prayer and discipleship. How are they being, like I said earlier, trained? How are they being discipled to walk in a way that reflects the gospel? Our witness as believers, oh my goodness. You probably could think about people in your life you've never talked to, but you saw their witness. And you said, wow, wow. That I believe you. It's almost like you believe in God even more because he's shown himself through another person. I know people are sinful, but the way he just handled that situation, the way she just handled that situation, that was godly. Mm -hmm. Right. It's this idea of that discipleship model. Find someone who can disciple you, someone that can walk with you. I have someone who disciple me, who disciples me in authority. This is what I mean. The last couple of years, I've been struggling with authority specifically. If you're not my mama, you're not my daddy. You can't tell me what to do. You ain't Jesus. You get out of my face. <laughs> Guess what, y'all? Newsflash. That is not biblical. <laughs> that is not biblical. Because the Bible says if your leaders aren't causing you to sin, when you actually submit to authority, you're submitting to God. <laughs> if they're not causing you to sin, right? You are actually showing your love for God, your faithfulness to God. I went, oh, my goodness. So even if I don't like it, even if you don't like it, does that make sense? Does that mean I'm perfect at that? No. But I have someone over me who disciples me in that arena only. It got so bad. I had really hard relationship uh, issues with my parents recently. They didn't want me to get married when I did. And so my, my mom sent me a text randomly, very hurtful about my wife. I wanted to snap. Because I'm an adult now, right? <laughs> right? I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not under their house. I wanted to snap. Guess who I went to first? I texted my mentor. I said, this is what I want to say. I know it's not right. Help me. <laughs> he calls me up. He's like, Austin, Austin, did you call them? I went, no. He's like, okay, good. You stay right there. I'm going to tell you what I'm done with work. It was this idea that I had someone who was in the scriptures, who was in the Lord, who knew this sin specifically of not taking authority seriously. And he has been able to walk with me and mature me. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have someone over me specifically. So a mentor is huge. Yeah. Um. Okay, so what do we do? I, I think we need to listen better. <laughs> um, Mr. Brown, founder of Brown Academy, gave a devotion a couple years ago, and he said this phrase, love listens. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that idea, probably because I'm, no, I'm not a very good listener quite a lot of times. Um, but So we need to listen to one another, and I think we need to be – you know, just speaking as somebody who has, who is of a European descent, who has white skin, um, there's a lot of people 
who are African Americans that I know that are hurting and they still struggle. And so I, I feel like that I really need to submit. That's you know at some level and listen. Um, I've had I, I've talked with a uh, an adult, actually a parent, African American this week, and um, and I just met with him and I just said, hey, I would love to talk to you about race. I don't say that to lift myself up. I say it more to say that mm-hmm. I'm pretty ignorant a lot of times, and I want to get his perspective on what it means to be an African-American man who's lived in lots of places in our country and who's living in this community now and just wanted to have a dialogue. And it was great and it was fun and we laughed and and we talked about serious things and and I gave him, you know, my thoughts and perspectives as well. Um, So just to listen to one another and to value one another is uh, seems to be an important, really early step that we often just skip right by, and we we come into conversation so often. I mean, about anything. If we want to sit here and have a conversation about who's the best SEC football team or something, we already have our opinions made, and we're not really listening to hmm. sometimes logic. Sometimes we miss logic, but uh, but even somebody's experiences and heart. Um, we need to hear each other and acknowledge each other's pain, whatever the issue is, and including on this issue of, of race. And um, so that that really stands out to me. That's good. Uh, so re- recapping those those answers, uh, recognizing a problem, kind of that the first first step in, recognize that you see it as a problem or, and as a sin, particularly a sin against God who made all races, right? Every tribe, nation. In color, um, recognize the problem, pray, find a mentor, um, and on that very practical level of of, of listening and acknowledging pain. And I, I, th- I think the what I'm hearing here is uh, something that I I've, I've had to to wrestle with is this this topic doesn't f- fix itself. Mm. It doesn't fix itself. It doesn't uh, it doesn't it doesn't just happen. That I have to in all of these things I have to be intentional um, because I've, I I. I'm very quick to surround myself with people who are the same. Uh, it can be very, it's easy to, you know, just, I live in a circle where I, we're all the same. And, uh, and I have to be intentional to step out of that. So, uh, you know, looking at, looking at a couple of things, I'm going to combine two questions here. Which they're they're a, little bit, a little bit separate, but we've got, uh, at the individual level, now we've got institutional level. Um, institutional, you know, the church, a, a business, um, uh, or within a community, or, um, or or the church as well. Uh, the schools. church, yeah, or yeah, schools <laughs> there. So, uh, so, uh, how do we approach this racism and racial unity as a community or an institution? The first thing and I'm always go back to this, is you have to have that target. You have to have that foundation. What are we standing on? That's, to me, that's the biggest difference between the church and the world, right? Because if the world doesn't have an objective moral truth, it really is based on your experience. It's based on, you, you know, what you think is right. And we've seen in history that changes. So if there is an objective standard where it won't change, uh, we believe that Christ is that for us. There has to be a deep 
cry in a deep, intentional clawing to retrieve that and to stay on that. That that has to be sharp, right? Um, I don't think it's going to be good to say, hey, there's a problem and it needs to be fixed. I think we talk about why the problem is here. I think we talk about why um, uh, God wants us to um, really reject right uh, racism in all of its forms, not just overt, but things that come from overt racism. Um, and so I think finding that fundamental ground in crisis one, I think number two after that, I think we need to be able to have a training as a community. And this is what I mean by that. As an educator, can I tell you something, guys? I need training on this. <laughs> and you're thinking, I'm Amen. black. <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the black. I need training. I'm I'm excited for training. I want training. <laughs> I want to be equipped, right? We're professionals. We want to be equipped. And if this issue is an eternal issue, not just internal in the school or the community or the church, but, and not just external because of what's going on in the U.S., but if it's eternal, there has to be a unified training that takes place. So us as educators, when we're trained, we can pass that down on students as students pass that down or as, you know, uh, faculty members at a church, as they receive it and they pass it down to the congregation. It, I think that discipleship model of passing it down, that has to be there. I think the last, um, not the last thing, but the thing that really comes to my mind is Romans. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. I mean, come on. We, If we're not passionately against it, we're bystanders. We're bystanders. I mean, there's no other way to say it. You know, I always tell people, if you, the people who hate racism in all of its forms, I'm not talking about the kind that is so obvious. I mean, God bless them. Stevie Wonder could see it, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about even issues that may offend people and hurt people and bring up scar tissue that has been here for hundreds of years. If we're going to be able to speak to those moments, we have to hate it. You cannot love and cherish and desire for diversity and for, you know, the the things that God calls us to celebrate. You can't do that and then say, eh, racism, I mean. Just a, it's just the same issue. There has to be a passionate disdain against. And if we don't talk about that and define it's not against a person, it's against that spirit. It's against that action. It's against, Does that make sense? Uh-huh. If we don't do that, I think it can go drastically wrong. It can turn into, oh, it's okay. I mean, I've made mistakes too. You just, you know, you know, you just got to learn. That what does that show to the person who was victimized? What does that show to the person that was taken advantage of? The person that was used as a punching bag? I mean, goodness gracious, we can say this action was wrong. This action, but guess what? You as a per- we love you, and we want to see you restored. We want to show you and educate you how this is not the way of Christ. This is not the way we should be going. I think if you have one over the other, I think it'll get messy, messier <laughs> than it probably sh- should be. Mm-hmm. I'm going to answer this two ways. Uh, hopefully, they're not contradictory. Uh, you know, when I talk to my Bible students, um, you know, we were taught the old uh, the, the church and the steeple, 
deal, and I make the point that you know the church is the people. So this institution that we call the church is made up of people. Schools are made up of people. Even the government's made up of people. Um, and so we would be foolish to think that when you put a lot of people together, whether it's under the heading of um, X school or X church or whatever, that there's not going to be a lot of brokenness and a lot of sin. And so you get a lot of people in the room. Um, you know, I just tell my students I have 19 kids in one of my classes, plus me is 20. That means we got 20 sinners in here that we're dealing with. So um, our institutions are broken just like we're broken as individuals. And so um, I think that's important to remember. Sometimes we can write things off and just saying, oh, it's that. It's, 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 um, it's not tangible when it's this institution or even a building. So just a few examples. Uh, we had a chapel uh, this week um, about race and African-American History Month. And I, I had the pleasure to talk about a guy named James Lawson uh, because he, he led the, the workshops on nonviolent resistance the sit-ins in Nashville. So he was training the students and saying some really crazy things like pray for people <laughs> who are um, tormenting you and, and act like Jesus and um, you know turn the other cheek. And for his efforts in leading these workshops on peaceful resistance, Vanderbilt Divinity School kicked him out of school. He was kicked out. Now, uh, here's an example of... Um, an institution trying to move towards unity, in my opinion. Vanderbilt Divinity School repented of that, has since, mm. you know, had J- James Lawson back dozens of times, and he's been a guest lecturer, et cetera. Mm. Um, that's an institution that's moved in a very positive direction towards racial unity. The Southern Baptist Church, I'm sure there's some Southern Baptists out there that might be in this room right now, I'm not sure. But like other denominations, but I can speak of the Southern Baptists, they split from the Baptist Church or what was the Northern Baptist over the slavery issue. The Southern Baptists said, hey, we want to, we think slavery is ordained and, and okay with by God, so to speak. Mm. Well, the Southern Baptist Church, uh, I don't know the exact year, I, f- I think it was about 20 years ago, repented of that. They repented of something that people who died a long time ago made a decision for. But that's the church and a denomination. And mm. I, I know the Methodist Church and Presbyterian, there's others who have done the same. Catholic Church has repented of their role in the transatlantic slave trade going back to Spain and Portugal. And so that's an institution trying to move towards racial unity. To They're owning up to their sins of the past. And even though every one of those people who died, who made those decisions, excuse me, passed away a long time ago, the people who are in leadership now said, as an institution, we need to move away from that. And we need to acknowledge it. And and I can't speak for all of them, but hopefully making making some decisions that are moving towards greater um, unity as an institution. Mm. And that's, that's really powerful. I mean, the U.S. House of Representatives, U.S. Senate did the same thing about um, regarding slavery. They've, in, in recent years, and I say recent, in the last couple decades, have repented and, and apologized, maybe is the more governmental word, for the sin of slavery, for um, voting for legislation and even the Constitution itself, which said slavery is okay. Um, so those are all, once again, examples of institutions that are 
uh, moving away from racial bigotry, um, racial um, bias towards unity. I mean, those are big steps. Um, and once again, um, those are made up of people ultimately making those decisions. Yeah. So in that now, if I'm I feel like I'm going through it, I'm 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 taking all this in and I'm hearing uh, the intentionality and and the the humility that comes from listening and acknowledging uh, and then repenting. So I, I'm hearing I'm hearing intentionality, I'm hearing humility and repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. You can't, you can't really go wrong when you're addressing an issue with humility and repentance. I feel like I feel like that's I feel like it's good. We can apply this to us, to so many things. Yes. But, yeah. Um, let me, let me pick, piggyback yeah. real quick on something that Austin said. He talked about training, and it's immediately I start. I have a lot of children, mm. six, um, and uh, and so I immediately thought about training wheels. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, to learn how to learn how to ride a bike, you yeah. you usually have a bike. <laughs> you should have a bike that has training wheels, <laughs> and then as you get better more proficient, uh, less likely to injure yourself. You take the wheels off and then you ride freely. And, you know, the truth is a lot of us are um, like children. I mean, like um, youth, infants, whatever the metaphor, uh, when it comes to dealing with this issue. So the training is so important. And, um, you know, so whether it's at, at, as Austin mentioned the faculty level and, you know, even within the, the classroom, I teach African-American history. So in many ways, we have lots of dialogue on race. And I was going to say in many ways, we're training each other of how to hopefully have these um, discussions. I mean, I tell my students at the beginning of the year, I have seniors and, and typically they're at an age where they're more willing to, to step into some heady conversations, be willing to admit where they're not sure about things or even um, and, you know, I, I say, you know, this has to be a, a room, a place where we can honor one another. Mm-hmm. So even if we're talking about something controversial, let's say like a Confederate statue or the Confederate flag, um, and if we have different opinions about that, those particular issues, we need to be able to respect each other as individuals, understand that the thumbprint of God is on each of us, um, and and listen. You know, it just goes back to listening and and have this dialogue. And and part of training in that class is we're going to read um, primary source documents of the past that deals with slavery or Jim Crow laws or the Civil Rights Movement. We're going to study our history. That's part of the training process. I think it's important, even in my classroom, that African American kids hear from white kids, and white kids hear from the experience and the um, experiences of African-American kids because a lot of them have very different experiences when it comes to race and even how they were taught and what their families said about race growing up. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, Austin's been pretty vulnerable about some things in his family. I mean, when I grew up, my grandfather, who I love dearly, I can remember him using the N-word. At the same time, he was um, he had friends who were African American. How do I grapple with that as a kid? Um, and I can you know so that's a very distinct memory for me. My family, when my my mom's family, when they lived in um, in Georgia, 
and they went to this lake north of Atlanta. They had people come to their house and say, because my uncle had a friend who was African-American who went with them to the lake. And people saw them come into the house, and somebody knocked on their door and said, hey, it's fine if he's here during the daytime, but by nighttime, he needs to go home. And, uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of been emblazoned on me. You know, that's part of, that's a little part of my, my family's story. And, and so we got to listen to each other and listen to each other's experiences and, um, and see the heart of the individual. Thanks for listening. It's always great to hear the wonderful stories, moments, and insights from members of the BA community. If you have an idea for a podcast episode, we want to hear it. Just visit BrentwoodAcademy.com forward slash podcast to submit your episode idea today.